Greetings, this is Father Michael. Before we begin our show today, just a few notes. First of all, as we enter more deeply into the Lenten season, just to remind you about the Lenten water challenge. The idea is for this coming week to drink nothing but tap water and in the savings we have from other beverages we might drink or in excess any kind of almsgiving we want to give. We'll take a very special collection during this Lenten season for those who will be ministered to by the Dig Deep Project. This is a nonprofit organization that in a particular way will be working with the Navajo in New Mexico. I can't believe there's almost two million Americans, many on reservations, that don't have access to clean, fresh water. Here we are 2018 and through Dig Deep, 100% of all that we give will be able to enable two households to have fresh systems of water, solar panels for heating, and be able to live what we kind of take for granted in terms of hydration and cleanliness. So $10,000 is the goal that will enable us to do what we're hoping that the Lord can do through us. You can make your checks out to St. Dominic's or Lenten Water Project and hopefully during this Lenten season, our almsgiving, which comes directly through fasting, will be able to truly be living water for those who are in much need of it. This week, I, I, I'm so delighted to share with you an interview I had with Lisa Hendy. She's here to give a retreat to uh, women uh, for uh, based on her book, The Grace of Yes, which is uh, eight virtues of living generously in her life. And it's a wide-ranging discussion talking about how, as the founder of the website catholicmom.com, came from an inspiration of her pastor giving advice that I myself uh, give every year. So it was encouraging to hear that that can bear fruit. Talk a little bit about her book, What is the Grace of Generativity? If you've never heard of the virtue of generativity, it's a wonderful idea and image for a virtue in our lives. My favorite definition of what humility is uh, from C.S. Lewis and the power of saying no in our lives. Also, we get into some of the best children's literature and fiction that uh, you may not have heard of in her Chime Traveler series and what she's learned in her time as, as a missionary abroad and awareness trips uh, to Kenya. Finally, she shares with us uh, her secret desire to go on a very popular reality TV game show to be an evangelist. So all that and more on this edition of St. Dominic's Weekly. Whether you're on the go or just taking it slow, may God bless you as you enjoy our show. Welcome to St. Dominic's Weekly. I'm Father Michael, and I am so excited today for our podcast. I have with me a very special guest, Lisa Hende. She is a missionary traveler, an award-winning author, and going to be leading our retreat for women on a Tuesday uh, this coming uh, March the 6th on The Grace of Yes. So welcome, Lisa, to the Bay Area and St. Dominic's. Thank you, Father. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. And I have, I've just, <laughs> I've, I've, I've got lots of questions. I, I've read the book. and But maybe in terms of just starting out, uh, just a little bit about who you are and your family background. and, and Who and you are? You just wandered into my parish parking lot. I know, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and here we are. Exactly. No, you know, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I'm I'm a Catholic wife and mother. Um, my husband, Greg, and I were, uh, we met at the University of Notre Dame, um, college sweethearts. Fighting Irish. Absolutely. Go Irish. Yeah, and um, we... Uh, 
We got married the year after uh, we graduated from college in the Basilica there at Notre Dame. And we're blessed to have two sons. Uh, Eric is 26. I'm now a new mother-in-law, too. Oh, fantastic. To Leah. And then my son, Adam, is now 23 years old. And he is, uh, as we speak, over in Glasgow in Scotland, um, studying, getting his master's degree. Oh, nice. What is he he studying? He's our musician. Well, we have all my guys play music, but Adam is our serious musician. He's studying traditional Scottish uh, music at a conservatory over there. Really? So, yeah, he plays um, he plays uh, Celtic music pretty seriously, and so he's taken a year to get a master's in uh, Celtic guitar. I was going to say, what kind of musical <laughs> instruments are there? Particular Scott, I should so, know this, but are there Scottish yeah, instruments? So, well, he started off actually on all kinds of different instruments, but he plays in a trio that tours pretty seriously, and he's the backer guy. So he plays guitar and bazooki, believe it or not, and mandolin and banjo, but. Yeah. Yeah. Talented in every way. Yeah, and then, so, and, his- and um, yeah, and so, I mean, he he is kind of like an example of my life, which is that our family has, during the time that I've been doing this work over the years, we've evolved and grown, and, you know, um, it's just so fun to see, like, as his mom and as Eric's mom and now Leah's mother-in-law and Greg's wife, you know, how our family evolves. It's really special. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> our little domestic church. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and, and uh, Greg does music ministries? So Greg is actually, yes, but um, his main his main paying yeah. gig yeah. is that he's uh, he's the chair of emergency medicine at UCLA. Oh, well, that pays the bills. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> That's why I can afford to do this work that I do because he's our provider. Um, and he's a very forgiving provider who lets me go- gallivant around. Um, but he, yeah, he he's an emergency medicine physician. He's a convert to the faith. He came into the church about seventeen years into our marriage. We've been oh, wow. we'll be married thirty three years this year. Oh, congratulations! And um, thank you. And um, he thirty three is a good year. You know? I, <laughs> I know it's a blessed year, isn't it? And um, and so he shortly after he came into the church, he received an invitation from our. We were living in Fresno for many years, and um, our music director there found out that Greg played the guitar, and he said, "Hey, why don't you come play at Mass?" And and honestly, now that's like his ministry. So he we go to St. Paul the Apostle nice. Parish, which is a Paulist parish in L.A. in the Archdiocese of L.A., and he clears his Sunday every week, and that's like his really what he does for the church. Oh, so. that's fantastic! So yeah. passing down that musical that gift of he music. He does. Although, you know, I have to say that um, our boys are both really serious musicians. Now, my son Eric lives here in San Francisco. Oh, does he really? Yeah, and he um, is in the finance industry here. So um, his music is kind of more um, confined to hobby music at this point. Okay. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but when job. when two or more Hendy men get together, there's always music there's in music? the background. There's oh, music? Very good. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Keeps it lively yeah. for sure. And I, and I noticed his, his middle name is Michael. Eric Michael. Michael. (laughs) Thumbs up there. Actually named for my pastor. Really? Um, My childhood pastor growing up, Father Michael Collins, a wonderful Irish priest who, I mean, when I think of the voice of God, it's in an Irish accent because of Father Collins. And he was my pastor all the way growing up down at St. Barbara's in Orange County, California. And um, I think that... um, 
my, I mean, in a way he was kind of like a grandpa to me, although you yeah. can't have a priest for a grandpa, but you sure. know, that kind of figure in our yeah. life. And so when Eric was born, we gave him Father Collins's middle, uh, his first his name. First is his name. name. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. I, li- and I like that image of, of God with, a, with an, an Irish, Irish accent. Yeah, an Irish accent. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I can I get on board with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe talk a little bit about one thing that uh, maybe most folks may know you for is being the founder of Catholic Mom. Yeah. Uh, so and maybe tell a little bit about the, the, the origin story of that. And, and, and the origin coming. story is you've probably given these meetings, Father, where like I I grew up, you know, in the I was born in 1963, grew up Catholic, went all the way through Catholic school. Um, but I was kind of catechized in the 60s and 70s when, you know, we did scandalous things like play John Denver and mass and uh, make the, banners. And <laughs> that was our catechism. Take me home country road. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not that, oh, no, okay. but we played a lot of folk songs yeah. back in the day. Yeah. But you know, um, when my kids were coming into the age where they were in early elementary school, I was at one of those parent meetings at their Catholic school. Greg had not yet come into the church. And I was at that, you know, that first communion prep meeting where they gather the parents together and they say, you're the primary faith formator of your child. And even though like I had known that, obviously we brought them forward for baptism or raising them in the faith, but something about that night really kind of put the fear of God into me. And I went home that night and, I yahooed. There wasn't even really Google back then, so I yahooed. Like, how do I be a Catholic mom? What do I do? And and because uh, I really just felt like I was crowd controlling at that point, like getting two kids wrangled into the pew and getting them to be quiet for mass and everything. And I wanted more for them, so I was looking around, and there really at that time wasn't anything that was around 1999, late late 1999, and something just stuck in my heart. To uh, I just decided I'm going to start a website. I think I thought it would last that school year and it would be my hobby for the year like the year I learned to knit or <laughs> the year I played the violin that that would be the year I learned you know to be a Catholic mom and blog but um you know started as a website then just kind of stuck and grew from there and evolved into lots of different you know using all the different forms of media um, I'm I'm not tech trained at all. I'm super tech curious. So everything I've learned, I've learned from like dummies books and oh, nice. and now the University of YouTube. Okay, so, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I'm awesome. I'm convinced that um, using these tools to connect with others and to share our faith has just been the greatest blessing of my my life. So and two things you mentioned there jump out at me. First of all, it encourages me because, like you said, almost every time I give any sort of initial catechesis to parents mm-hmm. my first line is most priest is <laughs> and all the catechists are involved it's, as parents we get them for one week or one hour right. a, a week or so far well whatever it is even if it's more than that you as parents are the primary educators of the faith you're the domestic church right it's got to live in your home and i to be honest with you i you know you don't always see a lot of fruit from that but knowing you took that message seriously. I paid attention. You, can, you, you can make it ten minutes. <laughs> so, so there are those who are inspired by that Absolutely. piece. So we'll keep giving it. We'll keep doing it. I we'll think you should. Doing. I credit those second grade teachers also yeah. with my husband's coming into the church mm. uh, three years later when our second son was making his first communion. My husband came through RCIA that year, and oh, nice. uh, Eric and uh, Adam, uh, or Greg and Adam, um, that was the year that they both received first communion. Together. I'll tell you, that has been whatever. Do the math. Like, almost 25 years now and uh no not that long well however long 33 minus 17 what's the math on that very good and uh 
And I still, honestly, Father, when I see Greg receive the Eucharist, I'm in a unique vantage point where, because he's on the altar playing music, I get to watch him receive the body of Christ, and I still, I choke up at that moment. Such a gift. Nice. (laughs) Very special. He brought you together in that way. Absolutely. It's beautiful. It's it's wonderful how children do that, right? Yeah. And then the occasion of the sacraments can be the occasion of of, of grace in a powerful way. It really is. It really is. So, and God is so good that, and I think the secret behind Catholic Mom is understanding all along that this was... God's work and that um, I never had the qualifications or the funding or, you know, any of the experience that I needed, but I had a heart to serve and also made the decision early on to say, anyone who wants to be a part of this, come join us. And so we, we, you know, have added so many volunteer writers. And then just last summer, we had the excitement of joining Holy Cross Family Ministries and CatholicMom.com was officially acquired by Holy Cross Family Ministries, founded by um, Venerable Patrick Payton. Oh, nice. And um, so I'm actually now kind of in a um, stepping back role, and it's now a part of their this worldwide nonprofit organization, and it's just amazing wow. to see how God has worked in, in that um in that work. Yeah, I was going to so. say it's what it's 18, 19, 18 years or yeah, 19 yeah. years, which which I guess if it's a if it's a life it's it's ready to drive get its driver's license. Right. So, <laughs> so I was kind of in the situation where it was like I my schedule's gotten very crazy over yeah. the last few years and I felt like I was sort of the rate limiting factor and also I never really had a heart myself to run a nonprofit because um I'm not great at like fundraising and all the administrative things. So I was really praying about a solution, what was going to happen to the website. And then this opportunity came forward. For me, it was a great blessing because Holy Cross Family Ministries is also part of the congregation of Holy Cross, which, you know, my Notre Dame connection and my love for the university and my my publisher, Ave Maria Press, is part of the congregation. So it's like God just put all these pieces together and said, here, Lisa, here's the answer. So <laughs> No, and, that, and that's tremendous because you didn't start from a, uh, a status of expertise, obviously. No way. It's almost like no. a need, you know. And it, it just goes to show that really anyone who has an interest in sharing their faith, like, don't wait till you think you're holy enough or yeah. whatever to be that person to do this. Like, listen to the call of God in your heart. Yeah, that's right. God doesn't, what is it? It doesn't call the gifted. He gifts <laughs> those who he calls and he yes. says, go for it. Right? In the yes. scripture, all those uh, wonderful stories in the, in the Old and New Testament of the Lord calling us. Um, and that brings us to the kind of the retreat that you're going to be giving uh, on Tuesday based on that book that you've written about the grace of yes. Uh, and I had the a real pleasure to, to read the book. It was, I, I found it delightful. And so we're going to have yeah. my therapy session. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. My spiritual direction yeah, session. Exactly. So I got a, a couple of questions. That first of all, the first thing, there's the old adage about judging a book by its cover, but I have to ask you about the cover. <laughs> Everyone because, does. Oh, do they really? Okay. okay. Spoiler alert. Okay. Hopefully none of the women from the retreat will listen to this okay. before I give it, but oh, I do yes. a whole little part of the retreat oh, do on you really? why the heck that cover? Because if you yeah. haven't seen the cover, basically it is the grace of yes and the why of the yes is some people have called it a martini glass. Uh, That's exactly what with, I thought. That's what I was going to say. With a goldfish jumping out of it. Yes. So here's the secret. Unless you're, let's say, you know, Scott Hahn or maybe uh, Bishop Barron or somebody like that, you typically don't choose the cover of your book. Okay. Um, what happens is the publisher decides on the cover and then they present it to you. And, and then if you're Lisa Handy, you say, 
why does my book cover have a martini glass on it? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what the heck does this mean? Yeah. And then they say, well, we've uh, done this, you know, with, we've marketed this with three different groups and this is the one that tested the highest. So this is, you know, this is what it is. And so, you know, just come up with a story. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) So my story about that cover, actually, we, we ended up having a, a name the goldfish contest for that goldfish. Oh, nice. And I said, you know, I will give, um, a con, uh, a contribution to the winner of the the fish name that wins to your favorite charity. The fish is named Fiat. And oh, nice. the explanation that we've come up with over the years is that Fiat wants to give his yes, just like we want to give ours to God. And that with we know that with God, all things are possible. So that little fish cannot be confined by the the uh, limits of that martini glass. Very good. It's burst forth and give it. Yes. <laughs> no, I find it very whim- whimsical and attractive. I just wonder if there's a story. So Fiat is is is, is Fiat is, is, is the goldfish. Is the goldfish. Jumping, you know, yeah. I really, joy. I really, in retrospect, I kind of think it actually looks. At, it's kind of like my life because I mean, I'm I, I was essentially a suburban housewife. That's what I am, um, and yet I think God has placed me in this enviable position of, you know, just being able to give my life to serve the church that I love. And I really believe at this point in my life that all things are possible. If it's of God, then um, I'm going to give him my yes and try. So I'm well, jumping on my martini glass. No, fantastic. <laughs> no, that's a great, that's a great example. You, Other people you, you, look you at took it. it and you work with it. I like what I like. <laughs> you made yeah. it work. <laughs> yeah. um, the, uh, you, you want to say something? Other oh, people no, no, took, no. It, took I, it. I was just going to say that um, not, you're a man, so you probably didn't see this, but women have looked at that book cover and seen ovaries or fallopian tubes. Oh, okay, so no. There's that whole thing, too. I, I saw, I I saw tree branch. I saw, I saw tendrils <laughs> yeah. on, a, on, a, on, a, on a branch. That's what I, I did. I, I thought it was like so a if you're listening, go drop by Darnest. your local Catholic bookstore and go take a look <laughs> at the book. It's a Rorschach or, test. Or, yeah, exactly. Exactly. What do you see? So, exactly. What do you so. see? What I, what I really liked in terms of general of the book, it's it's interesting. You There are lots of Books that are kind of in the self-help section, Mm -hmm. and then there's other books talking about virtue that might be more theological or Mm -hmm. catechetical. I loved uh, how to put it the 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 personal nature. In some ways, it's kind of you get very personal about the story of your life. I I read it and I thought, (laughs) I would say when I'm going to do this podcast, I you know you don't know me, but I feel like I know you just 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 from reading the book. And so it's very personal, but it's also prayerful. You end every section with reflection questions. And, and, and prayer, and the idea is that it's kind of an experience, that your life isn't just an occasion for antidotes to kind of move along the, the text, but the, the virtues seem to, to come out of your very life story. Was that intentional, the way you kind of structured and the thought process behind yeah, the, the it, personal Yeah, the book nature? was written at a time in my life where it was actually the year that Adam was going off to college. Mm. So this was 2014 and also the year that I traveled to Rwanda. Mm. And um, it was kind of a, an, a pivotal time in my life because my life was changing. You know, mm. I'm here I am like, raising these boys and then all of a sudden they're going off and I'm really asking myself like what's coming next so I really began to pray about what's my yes to God and um, the book is really heavily influenced by this kind of philosophy that my parents taught us growing up which is to always err on the side of generosity Mm. and a belief that if we're giving God our yes then that really means kind of looking at the world around us with that same um I have, how do I give my yes to people around me? And when I'm talking about generosity, I'm not talking about financial generosity. That's 
part of it, but more so how we look at, or look at generously loving the world around us. So the book um, and really the way that I've been looking to live my life since then, it, you know, looks at what are the ingredients that go into that yes that we want to give God and undercurrent of faith, which is the beginning of the book, but then other virtues like integrity or the work that we do, the creativity that we do. There's a chapter on generativity or relationships, um, how, you know, um, our our yes to God, our emulation of Mary's fiat impacts the way that we go into relation with each other. There's a great chapter on the grace of no, which I still need to study myself. Oh, really? So. Okay. Well, well, you've already anticipated because I, I, I'm hoping to unpack uh, oh, some chapter. Oh, let's chat. do it. Yeah, okay. So I don't want to, we, we don't necessarily have time for all eight, but yeah. there were three chapters that jumped out at me that I, that I want to kind of get them again. So, so first of all, the one you mentioned, first of all, that grace of generativity. Yes. I, at first, I said to myself, am I, I it took me back to my GRE test. I'm like, okay, where's the multiple <laughs> choice on what, yeah, what, what the word means? And it has, as you describe, a kind of uh, uh, social science uh, origin or derivative. Right. I kind of, kind of, you kind of understand what's, it's, it's linked to generosity, but what specifically uh, were you talking about there and what did you discover in that? Well, it's funny origin? because I was working on that chapter and I have an excellent editor. She's been my editor on all of my adult nonfiction books and um, she actually told me, I didn't have that word, and she told me, you're describing generativity here. Mm. And uh, I had to go looking it up to say, what is that? It's Eric Erickson as the uh, sociologist who wrote about this idea that um, ge- a generative love is one that leaves, looks to leave a legacy through mm. other people. So our relationships are um, towards building up the other person. So looking to connect with people in a way that doesn't ask kind of what's in it for me, but more so how can I help this other person to move forward in the, what, what they're doing. So if that's in a family relationship, you know, a parent's love is generative for their child. You look to help your child flourish and grow. If it's in a supervisory capacity at work, as a supervisor, you know, you're not looking to pr- put a team around you to make you look good, but rather to help them to excel and grow. And your legacy is in what they bring forward in their work. So you know, we could do a whole podcast just on that, but that's really what it is. And and I link it in the book to um, really the love of the beloved disciple, mm. John, um, his love for Christ and the, you know, episodes that we find in scripture, especially where he stood at the foot of the cross and uh, accepted our blessed mother as his own. And, and then really that moment, you know, that we read in scripture where he Really raced when he heard of the, oh, open, yeah. the open tomb, the empty tomb. Exactly, to, the great sprint, he and Peter, right. and then the yeah, great sprint. Yeah, yeah exactly. And but. just what that means in our relationships, like how I want to love is that love, that sprints to be, you know, to be with the one that I love. Um, and, you know, the, the love that stands at the foot of the cross, oftentimes we can't solve the problems our friends are going through, but we can be there to accompany them. Yeah. And it's interesting that a couple of years ago, Pope Francis had um, an event at, um, at the Vatican and there was actually a session on generative. Oh, love. really? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I, when I, when the Google alert came across my desk, yeah. I was like so excited that, you know, there it is there being it is. talked about. <laughs> at the Vatican, generativity. So. generativity. And, and, and what I found interesting, or at least what, what jumped out of me, part of that chapter was talking about your own relationship with your husband and mm-hmm. your marriage. And, St. Dominic, I find myself doing a lot of, because of the beauty of the church and the number of young adults here, a lot of marriage preparation. And I would say probably about half, maybe that's kind of more or less relationships that are uh, Catholics marrying someone who is either non-Catholic or Mm -hmm. not even Christian. And for your own story, you certainly married someone initially who was not 
Catholic. Right. And I, I often will say to folks, because at the time, you can just tell they're, they're in love, everything is kind of rosy, and you, you try to get them to, to at least establish some sort of prayer life together, even if they don't necessarily share the Catholic mm-hmm. faith together. But I, I'm always thinking, do they really, how is it that I convey to them the potential challenges that are there, because as you get older, I, uh, you know, our faith becomes more important. They ask the big questions, like the life questions. And if you don't necessarily share that with the person you're most intimate with, that can be a, a cross to bear. There, there has to be is. other <laughs> other things. So what, what advice would you give, just maybe from your own experience or thinking of, of uh, what do you say to, to, to folks that kind of might give them help or, or assistance or kind of a path forward in a relationship yeah, that would this is a question that I get so often yeah. I always hesitate to give advice because advice makes it sound like you have your act perfectly together but oh. I'll say for me that you know the one kind of breakthrough thing that I had in my own spiritual life with Greg was um, realizing I mean I'm doing everything, you know, during those years that led up to his conversion um, to sort of catch his attention through doing things like volunteering on the RCIA team and, you know, um, doing all these like extra activities, doing everything but really talking with him about how I was feeling about it. Mm. And also just honestly really praying intensely for his conversion, but not in a way that necessarily was productive because I wasn't communicating with him about it. Mm. And I realized in the end, um, the only person whose conversion of spirit and heart that I really control is my own. Sure. So there was a point at which I honestly, Father, began to pray for Lisa's conversion oh. and and really to pray that God would work in Greg's life, but also that I would better know Jesus, not because I wanted my husband to look at me and think, oh, she's so holy, I should have that for myself, but you know that I would have a personal relationship with Jesus that would be um, a light for my whole family, but also a fire in my own heart. And, and so I do think that one of my big mistakes with, in our relationship was, you know, we talked about it early in our relationship. We were very young, 20, I was 22 when we got married. And, you know, so you have that conversation and pre-cana prep and everything. You had to sign the paper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and he was very cooperative and all that. It's interesting with us that, um, you know, my husband was nominally, you know, baptized Lutheran, but never really went to church or anything. So he he wasn't opposed to the faith and sure. he was often around the faith and probably even thought, well, I'm going to mass with them when I can and when it fits in. Nice. Did, so did was, you pray together as a couple even? We the did. Beginning? And, okay. you know, and, and we prayed with the kids. Yeah. Um, but I'd say um, that t- t- kind of, it took a, a kind of a pivotal event in our life that I, I won't go into, but that, you know, really made me kind of go to him and say, I know you've been thinking about this for a while. And, um, you know, I, I'm just, I want to say to you at this part of it for me was I never wanted his conversion to be about doing it to please me. Sure. I think he would have done it years earlier had sure. I said, will you please go to RCIA and become Catholic? You put the ultimatum down. Me. Yeah, I think yeah. he would have done it, sure. but I didn't want it to be for that reason. That's I right. wanted it to be for him. But you opened the door, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. And I also will credit like an amazing group of men at our parish who really were intentionally praying for my husband. I didn't know this till after the fact. Oh, but, really? Um, we were involved in our scouting group at our parish which is a great parish in Fresno and those men were also all 
Knights of Columbus. Oh, yeah, you get and the knights on it. Exactly. And they intensely prayed for my husband at a weekly meeting that they had a men's group. And I think, you know, the Holy Spirit just worked in Greg's life, in God's time, yeah, not Lisa's for time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so just that sense of, of, of being open with right. in terms of your heart's desire yeah. and then and then stepping back and letting the Lord, yeah. the, the Lord do and it. And also yeah. realizing that if, if the timing isn't right and, you know, your person who you're in love with says, you know, it's really not my, it's not the end. Like I thought, if I ask him to do this, you know, to go check it out or whatever, and he can't do it now, you know, then that's going to be the last time and then we'll never talk of it again well no that's not the way life sure. works yeah, so. right. if you're if you're so. if you're in it forever there's there's, there's, there's still more more, more yeah. track to, more more yeah. journey journey to go it, it brought to mind the um you talk about compromise mm-hmm. and probably not not just about things about the faith but just in in life and it's interesting i usually think of compromise as having a conversation both of you have points of view we have points of view and you kind of you both have to give in a little bit and Frankly, no one's happy, but you just kind of go with it. But 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 the way you describe the art of compromise uh, is that it's not just a, a giving in, but it's a, an intentional giving of yourself, mm-hmm. and that fits into that that agape, kind of the agape love you're it talking does. about. It does. It does. It's interesting. Last year on our anniversary, we were we went on a date to uh, out out for a little uh, treat, and um, the waiter who was serving us, he we he knew that it was our anniversary, and okay. he was a newlywed, and he said, "You seem so happy. Like, what's your <laughs> secret?" Yeah, sure. And I was waiting to see her what my husband said my husband's not like a super romantic guy like his love language is like making sure that um you know the uh the oil has changed service. in my car acts, acts, like acts of service yeah, acts of service yeah but you know what he said he said we support each other in the things that make us happy nice. and i thought wow that's an amazing thing because it's true that temperament wise and just like in terms of some of our basic interests we're quite different actually um and yet you know we're always there for each other and it's been just so fun to see our relationship evolve and grow and meet in the middle. I'm certainly neater now than I was when we first okay. got married. <laughs> That's a big compromise. I was a big, messy person. But I know my husband loves, you know, uh, a relatively into, yeah. orderly home. So yeah. I strive for that. And, and I'm sure he puts up with some of my craziness that uh, he <laughs> so, normally wouldn't. So, so. he says, so, so support the things that make you happy. And, yeah. then, he, and then he ordered chocolate, chocolate lava cake. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> chocolate lava cake. The famous chocolate cake. Exactly. It's an example from, from, from the book in this, in this, in this chapter. And <laughs> and uh, and just uh, maybe to kind of wrap up the generativity part, yeah. the the idea, and you mentioned this, and every time someone mentions a regret they have, my ears perk up because that's where wisdom is found, right? If we can be, as you're saying, not just mm-hmm. regret to kind of feel guilty or paralyzed, but a reflective regret is the pathway to wisdom. And, and so you, you talk about if you if where you are now could speak to the 22 year yes. old <laughs> in terms of what generativity is all about. Well, what was that? What was that about? What would you what would you say? To, to you know, um, it's interesting that the book was written about four years ago. Okay, so yeah, it yeah. actually might even be different now. But, okay, sure. But honestly, just this idea that, um, you know, we come into any relationship um, with this idea of an unconditionally loving God. And there are so many saints that have written about this, but especially I love, um, you know, the relationship of uh, Louis and Zelie Martin, the mm. parents of St. Therese of Lisieux, yeah. who kind of like mutually their path to sainthood was through one another. And that the closest that I'll ever probably come to being able to to touch God in my life is loving 
Jesus through loving Greg. Yeah. And and that um the privilege of that it, with our children, with with my parents, with other friends in my life that that deep generative love um is the closest that I'll get to being able to wipe the face of Christ yeah. in my life. So well, that's beautiful. It's almost like you, you talk about uh, talking about God and talking with God, but then this is, there's always that sense of, of kind of loving, loving God just in an abstract way and loving God through those mm-hmm. whom he sits in our life and that sense of vocation and, and just that generativity. Just really, it's, I, it's a new, it was a new word for me. And I think my, my, <laughs> you, you might, might it. hear it. Exactly. I might, it might, it might become part of my, my lexicon. And, that. and this brings me to the, the, that second chapter that kind of jumped out of the, the grace of humility, because mm-hmm. humility certainly is foundational for us. All the spiritual writers will tell us that's the bedrock. That's the roots. That's the foundation. And because of that, you start with a little bit of a, a, a persona and you, you talk about the diva. You knew where I was going. Oh, all diva. my friends are going to, that are all my online yeah, friends. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. They're gonna, I know about the diva. Maybe talk a little bit. Of Do you think I look like a diva? <laughs> Not at all. But So that's why I was surprised that, that you, is it, so is, is this a real persona or, or is, this, is this false humility or what, what is, what, what is, what's the diva? How have you been, have you been like eavesdropping on my confession? Oh no. Oh no. No, no, not at all. No. <laughs> not at all. No, the diva thing is kind of a joke, but in reality, I mean, I share about this in the book that um, to me, like in today's kind of digital age, it's the idea of this, like the the uh, the avatar, the persona that we put out there for the world to see it for public kind of Instagram, right, thing, right. Yeah, yeah. What does your Facebook. profile pic po- po- look like? Yeah, exactly. And I was really reflecting on, you know, how there's a little bit of reality in this idea of the diva that while I try super hard to be humble, you know, there's a little bit of me that when she dodges a compliment wants to hear the compliment Again, one more yeah, time exactly. just to feed the ego a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's an exercise that i do in the retreat to kind of like ask someone to give me a compliment yeah. and then say oh yeah because you want to hear it again you know exactly, yeah and and fishing for compliments yeah, yeah exactly, exactly yeah. and i see i'm i mean i point to this moment at the visitation of mary to elizabeth when you know you have this beautiful moment of mary's magnificat where mary just gives all the glory to god um, and I realize now that after kind of studying this in my own life, that when I receive compliments, um, the anti-diva, the blessed mother answer is to glorify God, nice. to use an opportunity when you're, when you're complimented about something to say, thank you so much. God is so good. Nice. I'm so blessed, you know, and yeah. as, as our blessed mother did yeah. not to say, Oh, you know, I'm all dusty and I just traveled all this way and I look fat and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. well, it's interesting you say that because I, I know yeah. I, at first when, when, when I was preaching, people will naturally, you know, whether they're just saying it or whether they mean it, they'll compliment you for a homily. Right. Oh, father, that's a great homily, whatever. Yeah. And I always kind of struggle. They're like, what do I say? Like, yeah, you, you bet it was or something like, yeah. well, what do you, what do you say? Yeah. Your fish? But I had a person tell me just, just like Mary's thing, just say so when someone said i often say like oh praise the lord or wasn't it wasn't wonderful it's just like yeah it wasn't wonderful god was hopefully speaking to you in that moment and and often the most uh when i when people will share with me particular points that they got out of it sometimes it won't even be the main point of what i was trying to make and that's truly when i know god has been speaking because it was like some parenthetical thing that just kind of came in my mind they're like oh you were speaking right to me and i think 
No, that was the Holy Spirit speaking. Yes, to absolutely. <laughs> so you, you need that glory to and God. When we recognize that, I mean, when when you can turn like a moment that would be false humility into sure. a moment of sharing your faith, like what a gift! That's yeah. amazing. No, and it, it, so. and when you, when you're talking about that magnificat and that other side, so you got the diva side, but then you also have the kind of the false humility side. Right. I, I like to use that example as you mentioned, where Mary says, you know, the Lord has looked upon His servant in her lowliness. Now, obviously, we take that manifestly as a statement of humility. He's looked upon us in her lowliness. But then what does she say? She says, all nations will call me blessed. Now think about that for a second. If I get up in the pulpit this <laughs> evening and I say, good people of St. Dominic's, <laughs> I've got something to share with you. All nations will call me blessed. Now you're going to think many things of me, but one thing you won't think is that I'm humble, right? <laughs> and yet that's a statement of humility because why? Because she's acknowledging the goodness of God in her. And so there, I like how you're talking about, especially for the work you do, you have to some way promote yourself. You have to kind of, in terms of being an effective evangelizer, be able to bring light upon the goodness and the talents that God has given you. And so, so how do you, how do you, how do you kind of go between the diva? You talk about the diva, but then how do you also, in a sense, magnify that sense of God's grace? I mean, this is something that I'm praying about all the time because you talk to any Catholic author and they'll tell you like most of us would rather be just holed up in our office with our laptops, like writing or journaling (laughs) or doing whatever. And yet in today's world of um, publishing, you know, we're called out into the public. And for most of us, I mean, I'm, I'm really an introvert. So this is like, it continually takes me out of my comfort zone. You got to be nudged along the way. Absolutely. And yet I recognize that God has placed these amazing opportunities before me. So I think it's just really recognizing that um, being put in this position for a reason, but also like redoubling my prayer life constantly because it's so easy to, uh, I had a priest once tell me it's, it's, there's a point at which we get so busy talking about God that mm. we forget to talk with God. Yeah. And so that's something I'm always really cognizant of in the work that I'm doing right now. And I would think that you'd be an expert on this too, oh. that, you know, you can go into autopilot mode. Oh yeah, so. d- definitely. Because you're always talking, like you said, about God, right. but, but how do you, how are you feeding yeah. yourself and letting the Lord do yeah. it? And I, you had that wonderful C.S. Lewis quote, one of my favorites where humility is not thinking less about yourself. Yes. <laughs> thinking, thinking about, about yourself, yourself less. Exactly. And you're yes. not, you're not the center of everything. Yes. Right. And, and you only find that I find truly, I find that in silence. The community as a Dominicans were reading the um, book by Cardinal Sarah, The Power of Silence. Yes. In kind of the tyranny of, of noise and, and all the distraction in the world. And it's really made me once again appreciate that times of silence that I do have and making sure that begins my day and ends my day. And really, that's where humility is born in, in that time of silence. Absolutely. Very good. And it's, it's a challenge, I'm sure, for yourself. I look at your schedule <laughs> and I think, when do, you, when do you get that silence in? <laughs> I had some beautiful silence over the Rocky Mountains. There, today, oh, so. did you really? Okay, on the, <laughs> yeah. the plane flight over. Very, very good. Yeah. Um, and, and this leads to maybe the, the third chapter that you mentioned before, something that might be counterintuitive, but you talk about, this is a book about the grace of yes, yes. but you've got a chapter on the grace of no. <laughs> and you know what? It honestly made me think of, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, this goes back a number of years ago, I think it's called Yes Man with Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Yes, he said, where he yeah. couldn't, he could not, he was not allowed to say exactly. No. So he's just, he's just kind of for those who haven't seen the movie, just the qu- quick recap. He's kind of this milk toast kind of working at a bank uh, character who goes to the self help kind of conference and is inspired to say yes literally to everything. And then there's all kinds of hijinks and he's saying yes to relationships, uh, learning languages and hobbies and things. And really 
transforms his life. But the absurdity, a lot of the comedy comes from the fact that he literally can't say no. And there's a fundamental absurdity there because even though there's an idea that no is a kind of a negative thing, you point out there's a real transformative power to being able to say no. That's, the, if you will, the counterpoint of, of saying yes. And maybe maybe to let our listeners know, where, how have you experienced the power of no? Or what does oh, that look like? Oh, goodness. Well, it's so interesting. Like because I always hesitate to talk about it around parishes because we want people to come and get involved. And, yeah, yeah. But I use kind of the example of the church lady, the oh, yeah. lady who's like involved in every committee, and, and yet her kids are sitting in the back of the minivan eating Happy Meals for the sixth night in a row sure. that they haven't <laughs> been home. And we all know her, you know, and, and that was me. And so the um, the busier that I've gotten, the more I realize sort of this this kind of three prong process that I use in my own life, which is, um, you know, to really um, consult my other commitments mm-hmm. um, to look at um, the impact of a commitment on my primary vocation, my my marriage. So I figured out my husband is not a mind reader and I actually <laughs> have to talk to him before I say yes to something. 33 and, years of experience. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the third part of it, which is really the um, a fundamental part and the most important part is um, the impact on my soul. Mm. So, so I'll use in the retreat, for example, um, you know, the somebody inviting me to be on a committee at church, I'll just have one of the women say, oh, do you want to join us on this committee? And my answer will be, you know, thank you so much for asking me. Do you mind if I just check my calendar and maybe, you know, have a chat with Greg about it? And then I'd, I'd just love to pray about it. Do you mind if I let you know next Wednesday? Oh, and and then, you know, the fact that very rarely do they say, oh, no, uh, you yeah. know, I hate you. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. You're stupid. You're dumb. No, the, of course, they're like, yeah, that's great. Let me know. Um, so I think for me just to, before pretty major decisions and even now some minor ones, I have to really go through this process with myself and look at, is it leading me closer to Greg and closer to God <laughs> no, <it's>, no, <laughs> and closer in the direction that I want to go with my work? Uh, no, because it, and I, had, I had a priest tell me once that no, especially as you get further, more responsibility, right. especially in your own vocation, that yes and no are different choices, but they're not different kinds of choices because yes and no are two sides of the same coin. For every yes you say, there is an implicit no. Mm -hmm. And for every no you say, there is the availability and the opportunity to say yes to what God wants you to say. And so they're, once again, not... They are different choices, obviously, but they're not different kinds of choices. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're linked together, essentially. And I just love how that chapter brought out kind of getting over the, uh, sometimes we say yes because we want to be affirmed. We want to feel needed. We right. want there's all, there's all these other motivations that we think yes unlocks. But when you're talking about the grace of yes, you're talking about God's plan. And your ascent. I love that little that little prayer. In fact, after I, I was reading the book, uh, I, I thought that's a very beautiful prayer. Lord, your plan, my yes. A nice right, right to the right to the core, but nothing <laughs> else. I, I love that. Um, uh, so, and uh, in terms of uh, the book, so this is this will be the uh, the retreat that's going on. Yes. A Tuesday, and and I just I, I hope people are able to come and and have a blessed blessed time. I want to shift now, if it's okay. You have a number of books for adults, but I I, I would be remiss without <laughs> mentioning some of the literature you have around children's yeah. and topic. And there's a, the, not just one book, but a whole series of books yes. called the 
Chime Traveler. Chime Traveler. Chime Travelers. Very good. And, Set at a parish very much like this one, actually. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> good. Maybe as we tour the church, you can you get inspiration from maybe some yeah. of the architecture. But but what, what was kind of the or did, is it, did your publisher at this point kind of come to you? Did Ave Maria come it's, and, and No, kind of it's actually Franciscan oh, Media is my Media. publisher okay. on this. And um, they had actually been talking with me about doing an adult book. And I said, you know what? I have this idea okay. for a story. And actually, the origin of the story yeah. is there are a lot of Patrick in my family I would have been named Patrick were I a boy my dad is Patrick and my grandma was Patty and uh, I have a nephew not surprisingly named Patrick and we were um, sitting in his backyard before his first communion one day kind of swinging on the swings and talking about just daydreaming about what would happen if we could travel in time and meet his patron saint who's also my patron saint saint patrick and we went through this whole little story so i started playing around with this idea of you know could we create a series of books that would take some liberty obviously time travel is not something that really happens but what would happen if you could go back in time and and meet the different saints because the saints are really the ultimate superheroes in my mind. So the books are set in a Catholic school in a Catholic parish. And the time travelers comes from the fact that the time travel happens when the Angelus bells ring at the, at the church. And uh, the, the, the kind of little secret of this book is that along with like having the story of the saint, I'm also trying to sneak in things like, why the Angelus bells ring at church or why we ring bells during the consecration. Consecration. If you yeah. pay attention, there's a lot of bells that happen oh, around really? churches. And, um, and so there, the action, the time travel action always relates to the bells, but there's a, a current story. The main characters are brother and sister twins. And um, there's Patrick a and problem. Katie. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Problem that happens in their modern day life. The time travel happens. They go interact with the saint and they can't actually come back until they've learned to resolve learn a lesson that'll help them resolve the problem in their in their daily life so nice. and I, what actually what what stuck out to me initially is that chime you use the chimes and the yeah. angelus and how most folks don't know that i remember when i was in confirmation class this is always kind of a young adult and we were at the church and the bell started ringing about six o'clock, and someone said, "Hey, why are the bells ringing?" And right. and the the catechist, uh, not quite familiar, said, "Well, I think that's because it's the priest dinner time." <laughs> and, and and of course, uh, fortunately, I, I, I uh, my mom, my own mom, mama really had taught me well. And I said, "Well, so I I'd, ch- I'd chime in and say, it's well, it's, it, it, I said, it very well may be that they're eating dinner yeah. at this time, but it also might be the the Angelus." And and one of the the sacramental aspect of bells in the church is such that like churches itself or side altars that they're blessed. In fact, there's a kind of a quote unquote, as you may know, christening or baptism of, of bells mm-hmm. in the church and you name bells. It's one of the things I do you know actually that. name. So and cool. so I really, and I really, <laughs> and I know I really love that aspect. I thought, oh yeah, you're bringing to light something that. You're secretly a chime traveler. I <laughs> am. I am. I love, I, I love it. So that, that idea that bells have the power to like in, in, a, in an analogous way, just as we're meant to radiate the Lord to speak for it, the bells by their very ringing can convey, if you will, the, the message of the Lord's presence. And, and, and kind of it, it's so like 
there are so many little ways to, I've snuck in words like narthex in the oh, books nice. and thing that, things like that. I'm just trying to create this culture where the kids can kind of come back and understand, you know, the, some of the vocabulary and just the, the feeling that I had about my parish growing up, that that was our home. Because really the premise of these books is that the kids are recognizing that St. You know, uh, that St. Anne's, the parish, is, is their parish home. Yeah. And, um, you know, the action happens around the church because something naughty happens in the okay. very first book and and okay. uh, it just goes from there. So there's laughing and it's really fun and the kids love it. So. Nice. And, and I, I think how important this is, I mean, with like you mentioned superheroes and the preponderance of all sorts of movies around, you know, cartoon characters and things like that. How important it is to shape a Catholic imagination, especially Absolutely. for our young, especially for our young people. It's and what a gift it's been to work on this project! It's amazing. I mean, and kids are tough critics. Adults oh, sure. will kind of tell you if they don't like a book, they'll yeah. they'll find something they like. <laughs> kids, but they're it's just incredible to be with them. I do school visits all over the country, and I often Skype into classrooms. And, oh, nice! And uh, it's just so fulfilling to have time with um, kids that have interacted with this work. To, uh, I'll always do a Q and A with them, and I ask them. Um, one of the things that they have to do in the Q&A is stand up and tell me, um, you know, if my name is XYZ and if I could chime travel, I would want to meet XYZ Saint. And it's amazing to hear their love for the saints and their passion to know more about their their patrons. It's just great. Nice. Now, do you have a story around your own patron that's St. Patrick? That yeah, you, you I mean, our family nice. is Irish. Sure. And um, and like I said, my dad is Patrick and, uh, and I that would have been my name. I do have a brother, Patrick. And many, um, my my second is Adam Patrick, so lots of uh, Patricks in the family. But um, you know, the the more that I've come to know about Saint Patrick and uh, his imperfection, and yet his call to uh, be an evangelist, I he really speaks to my heart. And uh, you know, it's funny that one of the very few relics of Saint Patrick is actually his bishop's bell. Oh, really? You can see it in a museum in Ireland. So that was kind I of a confirmation for, oh, me for the for the I began yeah. to uh, to research his life. That you know. I could go to his confessio and read yes. his story and then to learn that something that was left behind was a bell. Nice. And so, yeah. No, that's great. And you, so there's St. Patrick. There's You do go into the France, Franciscan media. So we've got yeah. Claire in, in France. Yeah. As a Dominican, I won't hold that together. <laughs> <laughs> there's time, Father. Yeah, there's time, exactly. Kateri? Kateri, yes, Kateri. And, and, and then, then the, the Holy Family. Yeah, the Holy Family. And that one was an amazing story to write, to imagine. You know, For me, it's just forever changed the way that I imagine the Christmas story now because I spent so much time in the Gospels and having traveled to the Holy Land and been to these very mm. holy places to uh, to imagine myself on that dusty road, road to Bethlehem and, you know, with them and as they flew into Egypt and, you know, to and to consider the hidden years um, that we don't know and, and to really kind of have a daydream about what it would have been like to live with them in that time as the twins are both there together with Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And it's, it's a precious um, opportunity. And I find the things that I learned when I was young, and this is why I love the series, is the stay with me. For example, um, when I was young, uh, my uh, family introduced me to this anime 1980s series called Superbook. Mm-hmm. And it was not Catholic, but it's Christian. And it was this, it had the same kind of premise of time travel. You kind of go back in time with this little robot. And 
I know to this day, I know some of the most obscure Old Testament stories because, because of, because of Superbook, Superbook <laughs> Jephthah and uh, Othniel and all these uh, that most Catholics would be like, who are you talking about? But uh, because my imagination was formed by, by these stories. stories. Yeah. And so I think how wonderful it is to say we're all called to be saints. That's one thing that kids, as you, as you know, mm-hmm. all once you kind of contextualize that for them and and that they get super excited about that prospect. Absolutely. Call, call it's and what I, when I go out into the school visits, my two main themes are that we're all a saint in the making. So mm-hmm. I talk to the kids about, you know, what's something that a second grader can do to be a saint in the making and yeah. they can name it. They oh, know. Yeah. Exactly. And then, um, and then the second half of it that we're each God storyteller and how um, we use stories as Jesus did, as many of the saints did, you know, to, to tell this amazing story of God's love. So nice. Are a, are there more? Are there more stories maybe coming? Uh, who, who decides? Is that you or is that the media or how does that happen? Um, we're discerning that. Oh, you're right discerning. Okay, you're so discerning. you can say a prayer. The, the I hope yes, there the will be. There's no. so many great saints to write about. So I really hope we will we'll do more of these books. So stay tuned. Well, let, well, let me give you my my fantasy child yes. travel. Saint Michael. <laughs> oh, no, you know, well, it's really interesting because with the books, I try really hard to stick to original source material and to really read. I mean, even though it doesn't all fall in there to really go to historic records or in the case of the Holy Family to, to directly to scripture um, and to be really true as I can to, with with the exception of the time travel part of it. But sure. St. Michael's is a little bit of a stumper because. <laughs> well, well, no. So let me, let me, so let me point so you in the direction. So okay. there's, there's lots of, even though it's not uh, his, his obviously historical tradition, yes. you've got all Revel- sorts revelatory. of revelatory and tradition that comes mm-hmm. back. For example, the creation of the angels happens on the first day, according to St. Augustine, let there be light is actually the creation. I think it's before the three days before the sun and moon, right? And so travel back to when actually God speaks for the first time and the idea that Lucifer, who is God's highest, most beautiful creation, finds his own happiness in himself and not, not in, in God is that from Isaiah, oh, oh, day star, Lucifer, who fell okay. from the sky. So there's all sorts of, so sorts of I, I can, I can, I can, if, well, if, you, if you want a consultant on the St. Michael book, I would, <laughs> I would glad you point you as you, as you see my office surrounded by all sorts of St. Michaels exactly. and, my, and my mug and my prayer. And I can, I can point you to, maybe not a historical, but a spiritual tradition that fills out actually the story of why uh, Lucifer fell, of how Michael was involved, and Mary's role from from Revelation. There and you from go. Mary's. We've so got thinking, the basis. I, I'm, and, I'm really and, pushing this. And the other dream. side of the story yeah. is that um, if you read Time Travelers, you'll know that the pastor in the books is uh, Father Miguel. There named we go. For, I love- named for my father Collins. Yeah. And, um, and that... If you're really paying attention, some of the mythology has been laid out for flashback books where the older characters' stories are told. So I do actually do hope we'll get to tell. <laughs> okay, that well, well, so. So, so that's that's my that's my little seed. I'm going to plant there. <laughs> you, you might not get that anywhere else. So, uh, and then finally, I'd be remiss without asking you a, a little bit about your missionary experience, this kind of discipleship that you've taken on more recently in your life, and yeah. just coming back, as I understand, from, from Kenya. I'm still dusty oh, from still, Kenya. You're still dusty from <laughs> Kenya. So it's kind of like oh, your little segment of where in the world is Lisa? Yeah, where, where, exactly. Where, 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 where have you been? And maybe describe a little bit about the missionary spirit and perhaps this last yeah, this last trip you've taken. Re- so just to say quickly that my first experience of that was that trip to Rwanda in 2014, and I was so blessed to received that uh, Elizabeth Egan Fellowship from Catholic Relief Services and to travel with them to see their work. And I've done that multiple times now. But um, but in recent years, I've begun also working
working with Unbound, uh, formerly known as the Christian Foundation for Children and Aging, CFCA, and it's a sponsorship organization. Our family sponsors a child in the Philippines and an elder in India, and I've traveled with them this year to Kenya to see uh, the work that they're doing there. It's amazing work, um, a Catholic-founded organization, and just to really see the blessing of um, going out to be, you know, essentially on the margins that Pope Francis speaks of so frequently. Um, I used to think that I took these trips to go help people, but I realize that I'm the one who's mostly helped because sure. their joy is so tangible and, and their love and their openness. And, you know, the solution to these problems is not, you know, necessarily to bring everybody here or make their life look exactly like ours, but to find solutions to help them better their lives right where they are. And, and so I love finding organizations like Unbound that are doing that and helping them in any way that I can. If, if my tweeting and Instagram, can help them, then I'm going to do it. Sure. For, for example, I was, I was looking at your blog and, and day three you talked about, you were, you had a picture of yourself standing uh, on either side of the equator, the Northern and Southern hemisphere in Kenya there. And you had this image of straddling the line, right? And right. It, it made me say a little bit more. I really found that to be a compelling image. Yeah. I mean, just, I think the more that I kind of go into these places and recognize that, you know, my, my servant's heart wants to like gather them all up and fix their problems and help them in any way that I can. And and yet, you know, I also can't do that. And, and so I, I think for us to recognize that the little bit of help that we give to responsible nonprofit organizations can really make big differences in mm. people's lives. Um, so it's always something that I'm really, you know, I, I love to do this all the time, but I have to come home and be a wife and a mom. Sure. And, and so there are all those things that we straddle in our life, responsibilities and how we can be there for people. And um, this year I had a chance for for CRS to, to make a little video about their theme this year was the Good Samaritan. And my video for their rice bowl program talked about um, almsgiving in Lent and and looking specifically at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan at the role of the innkeeper. And I, I likened um, Catholic Relief Services to that innkeeper who can be, you know, I may be the, the Good Samaritan who helps on the way, but the innkeeper was the one who remained and, and cared for and you know, an organization like CRS or Unbound or any nonprofit, even our parishes, can continue the work that we begin when we, um, you know, share the gifts that we've been given to help other people. Yeah, nice. And so. just even awareness, right? It's Absolutely. I see the world so differently now, having traveled through these places, and yeah. I, I read the news differently. And, uh, um, you know, has I, it changed your writing at all? Or you it maybe, definitely yeah. has. Yeah. And I mean, it's changed so many things about my life, but. Um, um, but I also want to really focus on the dignity of these people. And I try really hard when I'm in these places to capture that joy that I feel from them. The joy of, you know, an elder that I met last week who this woman is living in, you know, a room half the size of your office made of essentially sticks and dirt floor. But she lives on a on a family farm surrounded by her great grandchildren and near the, the um, gravesite of her husband. And she's so filled with joy and she never, she's never watched a television set. She doesn't know, you know, many of the things that we have, but she passes her days telling stories to her grandchildren and eating fresh fruit from her mango tree. And, you know, there's a, um, a beauty and a dignity in her, you know, somebody here might look at her face and think, wow, she's really wrinkled and she barely has any teeth. Mm. 
I want a piece of that joy for myself. So I go there to see um, what it is that I can learn from them. And certainly I want to help them. I want to help people recognize that when we responsibly give to charitable organizations, that the church is doing such amazing work around the world and we can cooperate in that. Small sacrifices that we make Mm. can make an immense difference in these people's yeah, lives. It reminds me of this uh, Mother Teresa quote, you know, doing small things with great love. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also recognizing that what we can learn from them about faith and family and love is amazing and immense. Now, now your, your, your travels, I don't know if this is a little bit of a curveball here, but does it make you more or less eager to your pitch to go on Survivor? <laughs> more more Come on, Mark Burnett give me a call I'm waiting yeah I yeah. heard that I was I, 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 full disclosure I've never actually watched Survivor but I know oh, I know the I know the premise out. I know the premise I know the premise <laughs> they put people on an island and you, you, you battle it out and there's all kinds of intrigue yeah. and backstabbing and physical and people running around. I will be wearing one of those old lady bathing suits okay <laughs> no you know I, the thing about Survivor is first of all I love being out in the outdoors and sure. in nature and and I love um I I love the idea of just going out into the wilderness with what God gave you, which yeah. is your body. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also love the idea of winning a million dollars and giving it away to Catholic charities. <laughs> Very <so>. good. <laughs> so, give me a call, Jeff Probst. Exactly. I'm ready. Okay, you're ready. You're ready. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and in terms of being and what a yeah. what a great way to share your faith. Too. Yeah. I mean, like just to go on a show like that and to be authentically Catholic. To you know, I don't know if they'd ever show any of it, but um, you'd have to get a little bit of a dispensation before. You went away sure. The, the no, you'd be the Catholic mom. They they build a whole persona. You'd be yeah, the Catholic mom. No, I'm I can I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> I can yeah. see it. You know, you you definitely have it. They're always looking for diversity of character, right? Absolutely. That's what drives this sort of conflict yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And and see, I mean, could, I, could you win that? I, I honestly don't know. Could you win that show being like truthful, honest, straightforward? I don't, I, don't I don't know. I don't know the answer. I, I think you'd win just having the opportunity to share your faith oh, well, in you a go. forum yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, certainly having like prize money would would be a way to bless a lot of organizations. But I'm I'm looking for any way I can find. <laughs> That's why I'm, you know, why I use social media. It's not because I'm super excited about staring at my cell phone, you know, but it's a way to share our faith and yeah. God's created a lot of ways for us to do that. So. And, and speaking of that, I know you were part of, if you will, the, the early sewing of the podcast movement when yeah. it was in seminal <laughs> form. And then you, 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 you let the, you, you let it lie fallow for a right. little bit, but, but now you're back casting the seed wide and doing a little podcasting. Yeah. What brought you back into the, the podcasting game and, and what does it yeah. look like now? Oh, it's so it's, and the same things that I loved about it back when I was doing it in the early phase of podcasting around 2008 is when we kind of got started with it. Um, you know, the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation like this. I'm, I love talking about other people's work. So for me to kind of like shine the light on amazing work that's being done by authors and musicians and missionaries and all kinds of people um, just to share their love for our faith. I love doing that. So I had an opportunity recently to join Breadbox Media, which is a great Catholic um, podcasting organization that's assembling kind of a, a mass of different podcasters and providing 
some production assistance, which really uh, helps yeah. me make it happen. Amen, amen. Because the talking part of yeah. podcasting is the easy part. Yeah. The hard part is, you know, getting yes. on there and, and doing all the editing, editing and, and all that. And that's so that's the time sink. And so I've got some help for that now. And that's helping oh, uh, nice. to have the show out. And it's again. called Lisa and Friends? Lisa Handy and Friends. Lisa yeah. Handy and Friends. And, okay, yeah. you know, the, I struggle with that. My old podcast podcast was called Catholic Moments. Yeah. I'm kind of playing off of Catholic Mom. Yeah. But and I don't hesitate away from being Catholic. Yeah. Um, but I also thought like, what if, so I'm living in Holly in, in LA now sure. and a lot of the work that I'm doing is in the, in the entertainment industry. So getting sure. to interview people like Morgan Freeman yeah. or whatever. So what happens if somebody just stumbles across this because they're interested in one of these entertainment industry, you know, interviews that I do, um, that happens to be on this Catholic podcast, they might not listen if it's called Catholic yeah, something, Catholic. but if it's, have, but with friends, and it makes it yeah, more intimate. I, th- I, think I even, really do. Even the nature of podcasting means that you, you, someone is letting you in, at least in terms of your voice, to almost an intimate kind of conversation, especially the way you're doing it with like sharing stories and other people's stories and in all kinds of creative ways. And even I, I said, I read your book earlier. I, I didn't actually read it. I listened to it. Oh, yes. right. So I felt like, I felt like I, it was, like you were sharing. Your it's, it's great. Yeah. No, my, 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 your ears and just for, for all the time you read, I, all that I had, did, did you, it was, pr- I, I, as, a, as someone who, who, who speaks from time to time, I'm always very nervous about ums and uhs Ooh, and it was a aspirations. I was going to say, how did you do it? Because it was flawless. I'll tell you, yeah. I, I blessed the production engineers. It was really challenging to I'll do bet. it. And how long did it take? I'll tell you, it was two solid days of recording, which is not that long if you think about it. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you that when we did the section on Rwanda, yeah. uh, the genocide mm, portion of the yeah. book, they were very patient with me. I tear up on, you know, at watching... Uh, Little House on the Prairie yeah. episode. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. if you can imagine me trying to read that, it was really challenging. But yeah. they were real patient with me. And I enjoyed that. And, and having the privilege of doing that was a great gift. Nice. Yeah, no, so I, I was I was a little bit, I was like, wow, this is really, really good. You had, you had, you had definitely wonderful editors. Yeah, so definitely. But that intimacy, mm-hmm. going back to that intimacy in terms of uh, podcasting, I think it's so important that we bring and share the faith in these kind of uh, medias that, that, that are there. Oh, absolutely. And so many people have discovered um, the faith through listening to podcasts. And I think sometimes it's kind of a safe space. And it's also that idea of accompaniment that, you know, you might actually be listening to this podcast while you're walking yeah. or commuting or doing your laundry or whatever it is that you do. And, you know, to know that you're not alone in that journey, I think is really, and I, I always try and every thing that I do to make sure people know that, gosh, you know, I'm a normal person. I am a, I shouldn't say before I give a retreat, but a sinner. Sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I'm not trying to put out this persona of like, I've got it all figured out. you know, I'm, I'm perfect. I am so far from perfect, but doing this work helps me to grow in my faith. And I've connected, I really do believe in the power of this technology to create real relationships as well. I have so many friends sprinkled literally now around the world that I've met through technology and, um, for example, your staff member, Kathy, you know, we've yeah. never connected in person, yet we have a relationship coming into this event that was fostered by 
technology. So I'm going to use all these tools on whatever comes next. N- nice. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, we, I think we should probably at this point wrap it up. But it's, been, it's, been, it's been delightful to have you. One final kind of question I like to ask all the folks that come on. Being a Dominican, we love study. We, as you can tell by the office, we love, <laughs> we love books and favorite books. Is there a book, and obviously scripture and revelation, but perhaps besides that, is there, is there a, like a favorite book or a book that you keep coming back to again and again that is kind of, in a sense, inspired you or, or might be one that you would see as kind of a, a life book for you? Yeah, for me, it's um, Story of a Soul. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, and it's funny because flower. sometimes men are like, oh, St. Therese, she's so sticky sweet. Yes. But for me, I mean, as a patroness, um, yeah. she's amazing because um, – you know, the the idea of her being, uh, you know, a doctor of the church and the patron saint of missionaries. Yes. And although her life was very short and she was cloistered, as many mothers are in a, in a sense cloistered, she's always given me hope that even within the confines of a very small space, I can have a, a support supportive impact on my church and so I think that her little way to me is significant in in my own little way and I find great hope in her work no that, that's good and the name of the book again is story of a soul story of a soul it's a yeah. beautiful book I, I have to admit I, I'm a little bit on this the kind the, of the, she's too sticky sweet she, she's she's might be a little sticky she's but, but a doctor of the church she is and, and, and <laughs> but I'll tell you this her she, correspondence is amazing if you've ever read it is that. Yeah. yeah no and and what I like what, what I do appreciate is that with it, certainly it's it's it has its childlike quality, but it's super smart too because I love that image of her saying, you know, that the, the the sun shines on the top of the trees and the forest, and even down to the little flowers. And and so while some of the great saints they'll do all kind of heroic actions and they're climbing the mountain, they need to get kind of close to the sun. I'm just going to open my arms wide to my heavenly father and say, hey, daddy, and he's going to pick me up. And I think, well, that, that's, that's good. That, 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 that's sanctity and letting the Lord take our, you know, be, be in charge of our sanctity. So I can, that's a, that's a smart, that's her heroic <laughs> virtue in a very savvy way. So I can get by. My, my runner-up would that. probably be Introduction to the Devout Life, oh, which I love as well. That, now, now we're talking the same language. I read that every, I've got, I've got a couple of copies yeah. right over here. I love it. St. Francis of Sales yeah. is, 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 is right on point. It's definitely on a bucket list. If you want to talk about this. a self-help book, go yes. read it. No, 100%. Even if you only read it one one number at a time. <laughs> no, exactly. So, Lisa, it went fantastic to have you here. I, I do have to mention you, you're going to be staying here for for the day, and then we'll and Tuesday you'll be here. Yeah. I, I did I did notice that you in one of the podcasts that you said you you, you don't do windows but you do dishes. Can I can I hold you that we're, we're tonight 100%. we have dishes. Okay, hey, all right. Got any bathrooms? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. No, yeah, no. It's 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 wonderful to to have you here. Uh, any 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 final words for our listeners? Oh, just what a blessing it is. And if you've never been to Saint Dominic's, I know many of your listeners are parishioners here. But sure. if you come to this city, you have to make a, a stopover at this parish. It's a a real light in a wonderful archdiocese and. Uh, a place of great hope and and well-known around here. But put this on your list above Fisherman's Wharf and uh, all the tourist stuff, a stop at St. Dominic's is a a beautiful thing to do when you're in the city. Very good. And we hope the architecture reflects uh, the community that's coming. Uh, May everyone who's listening to this and may your week truly radiate the joy of the gospel here in the heart of the city. Amen? Amen. Amen.